All right, good morning, church family. It is great to be up here. A little nerve-wracking, to be honest, but I am super thankful that Joe and Seth saw fit to give me the opportunity to bring Psalm 90 to everyone this morning. And this is a psalm that is uh, really in the past year, but like more so in the past few months. The Spirit has been really uh, convicting me of things where I was looking for satisfaction and other stuff, and this psalm has been kind of God's way of saying, you've missed it. Kind of come back to where I'm trying to show you you need to be. Come back to my word. Don't be looking for anything else. Be here. Dwell in Psalm 90. And so last week, uh, I was really glad with what Joe shared because it really builds on this. Joe faithfully shared, like, when we delight in God's word, when we see it as the treasure that it truly is, and we dwell in it just as Christ has called us to, that we experience joy. We experience the joy in saving grace. We have spiritual freedom to follow Christ's commands, not do whatever we want. We have the freedom to follow and live in Christ. And then we are also empowered to joyfully share the gospel. So thank you, brother, for being thankful to the word and just bringing God's word straight to us very faithfully. So, Psalm 90, God satisfies. This may land with some of you, this may not. That's okay if you hear this illustration on satisfaction and think, David, you're a little weird. That's fine. Go for it. Chance is already there. Thank you, brother. But a couple of years ago, I think a couple of years ago, uh, me and Joe were like working on his house, doing renovations, and Megan had picked out this tile for the bathroom. I don't know if Joe remembers this, but I was like, dude, I'm really scared to do this tile. Like, this pattern, if we mess up one thing, this is going to look stupid. Like, it's going to look like a couple of goofballs did this. And even though they did, that's not our goal. We don't want it to look like that. But, like, we, we watched some YouTube videos like real men on how to put this down. We laid it out, started doing the tile, and I was like, man, this is coming together. All we got to do is keep it together for a couple more hours and then look at that. And so we're getting there. We lay the last thing down. Joe finished it because I had to go to work. I come back a couple of days later to finish up some other stuff, and I look at the bathroom, and I'm like, oh, yeah. It's like, this is satisfaction. The way the pattern fits together, anyone that's ever used the bathroom in Joe's house, you know. You know. You've looked at the floor. You've seen it. And you looked at that and went, oh, yeah. That is satisfying. Well, you're welcome. But... Like, it's weird, but like those kind of things satisfy me, like making the right cuts, putting these exactly where they needed to go to build this pattern, seeing the whole picture come together. It's very satisfying. So like if you got that, fantastic. If not, I'm sorry you weren't satisfied with that. It's going to help you be in place for today's message. So a little background on Psalm 90. This Psalm, as a uh, Seth kind of stole my thunder earlier, but it's okay because Seth is cool. So, but this psalm is believed to be the oldest psalm ever written because it was authored by Moses. And unlike a large majority of the psalms, this is not Moses singing praise to God. This is not a song of praise. This is rather a prayer, like a heart-wrenching, from the bottom of his heart, plea and cry and prayer to God. Uh, this is taking place in the close to the end of the 40 years of wandering where they have yet to cross the Jordan and enter into the promised land. But where this is taking place, like Moses has already been told that because of his sin, 
he will not get to enter it. Like God has already said, you're not going to enter this land. An entire generation of people has passed away, unable to enter this land because of their sin and their wandering. And so Moses is now standing, watching the people about to enter the land that he knows he can never go to because of his own failure. His own rejection of God had led to this. And so he cries out in prayer. And this is a very weighty psalm, like just preparing you before we go into it. This is not a very heartfelt, like uplifting kind of, we're going to sing and this is going to be a fantastic psalm. Like, yeah, glory be to Christ. All of us are happy. This is a like glory be to Christ for sure. But ultimately, this is a psalm that is wrecked by sin. The author has been destroyed. His heart has been broken. And his only thing left that he has to turn to is God. So like when we are getting into this later and it's a pretty bleak picture, it's supposed to be that way because ultimately that's, that's us, guys. Our lives are bleak just like this before Christ comes. So uh, we're going to tackle all 17 verses at once and then we'll go into it piece by piece. So join me. Uh, in prayer, and then we'll read Psalm 90. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that you have allowed us to gather here today, God, that you, in your gracious and sovereign power, have saw fit to let your people gather, God, to let us be a church for your Son. God, I pray that today, as uh, we go through Psalm 90, that it would be none of my words, none of mine, God, but only your Spirit, that your Spirit would move through me, God, and that despite my failures, despite whatever's going on with me up here, that your word would go out, that these hearts would be open, that ears would be receiving your word, God, that we would not be hard-hearted to things, that we would not cast off things that don't align with exactly what we think, God, but that we would be open to your spirit, that we would number our days and gain a heart of wisdom, God, that you would fill us and that we would be satisfied only in you. May your spirit move, God, and may your people respond to your word in a way that brings you the utmost glory. It is in your righteous, sovereign name we pray. Amen. All right, so Psalm 90. uh, Title says, From Everlasting to Everlasting, A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. Starting in verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Withers. Oh, sorry, I'm going to struggle through this. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. 
Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Okay, so before we get into point one, I want us to look at verse 15 for a second. It says, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. And I know some of you are probably having questions about that because I did when I read it. I was like, ooh, God doesn't really afflict us because we see in other places in his word that that's, that's never really his thing. He allows us to be afflicted, but he doesn't actually cause our affliction, 100%. Like, it's always part of us. He allows it. And so what this is, is when it says as many days as you have afflicted us, like, we are afflicted by sin. That is our affliction. No matter what we face in this world, the root cause is our affliction is sin. And so he has allowed us to be in our sin because that's what we deserve. Okay, so when he makes us glad as many days as we have been afflicted, our sin, our affliction is an infinite offense to an infinitely holy God. And so when he makes us glad as many days as we've been afflicted, we are going to be infinitely glad for all eternity with him, is where that's coming from. So if you're hearing that and thinking, ooh, I don't like that God makes us afflicted. You make yourself afflicted in your sin, God makes you glad for all eternity in it. Okay, now we can get to point one, because we kind of worked through that, and that was a big struggle for me, so that's why we hit it. So, there is a lot going on in these 17 verses, but... In the very beginning, verses 1 and 2, we see Moses opening with praise to God. Okay, he praises God for who he is and like what we are with him. So he says in verses 1 and 2, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. We, like, he is where we dwell. And before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So, first point, which we see from verses 1 and 2, is that God created us to be satisfied in him. Okay, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. This idea of dwell is not just, he is a place we go to. Okay, we don't just go to God every now and then. This idea of dwelling, like when you think about something that, you know, maybe some loser cut you off in traffic or something, and then it controls your thoughts the rest of the day, that's dwelling. When all you can think about, everything, your heart is angry, everything on your mind, your thoughts are consumed by this one thing, this one idea, that is dwelling. You're dwelling on that thought of that dude that cut you off in traffic or whatever it happened, but like with God, dwelling, if we are truly dwelling with God, it's not us sitting in this room today. This dwelling is something that we do every day, every second of our lives. If we are dwelling with God, he is going to consume our every thought. We are going to be in his word, with him, in, align, in alignment with his spirit, 24-7, 365, guys. Like, it should be everything we are. All I have, all that I am, all that you have, all that you are, is Christ, if we are called to dwell in him, and we are. And so, when he created us to dwell in him, it was a lifelong 
every day, every second of the day kind of thing. And we see this uh, a little bit in Genesis 2, verses 7 through 9a. And it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. So, God created Adam. Okay, In the garden, we are designed to dwell in satisfaction with God. That's why he created the garden. That's why he created man. He didn't just create man and send him out and say, get as far away from me as possible because I've created you and we're done. He created man, placed him in a garden that he made specifically for man, filled with every good thing. Man had no reason not to be satisfied with God other than our own pride. But see, we even see later that like he continues, like God doesn't just put him in the garden and say, be satisfied with what I've given you. God dwells with him. God walks with him in the garden. It is a constant relationship between God and Adam. It's not this broken communion that we have today. It was a relationship. They walked together. They were. When Adam was not feeling like everything was perfect, God was there. Like, he was like, you need a wife. I've got it. Like, I'm going to make one for you. I'm going to make you a helper because I want you to have everything that I desire you to have. And so we see in Genesis 3, 8, like after the, this is after the fall where the communion, this dwelling with God has been broken. And it says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Okay, they were created to be in his presence. Sin entered through their pride, through their dissatisfaction with God himself, with his creation. And that broke the dwelling. They were hiding. They hid themselves from God. God coming down to the garden was not just a result of their sin. He wasn't up in the heavens saying, well, now they screwed up. Let me go down there and see what this is all about. This was a regular occurrence. They, they knew. That's why when they heard him walking in the garden, they were like, well, we got to go. We messed up. We need to run from God. And ultimately, that is very much what we do. We were designed to be satisfied in God and yet think of everything we do other than dwell with him, other than be satisfied in him. This was their way of life. Adam and Eve's way of life was dwelling with God in perfect communion, and yet they sinned and broke that, and now their way of life is running from this dwelling, is actually not even running from dwelling. They're incapable of dwelling now because they've been separated. They have broken the communion with God. This was not a misstep on God's part where he felt like shunning them. He had to. This sin broke this dwelling, this perfect communion that he had created them for, they decided was not their purpose. Their purpose was to satisfy themselves. And it broke this dwelling. And it left all of humanity constantly seeking for the rest of time as we know it, seeking something to satisfy, seeking that dwelling, but never being able to truly obtain it on this side of eternity. And so... With that, like, Moses had this very same issue. He sees this with the Israelites. Think about, he was not satisfied 
that God had led them out, that God had freed them, that God had placed him in a position over his people. When he had chosen them and said, you shall be my people, and he was like, Moses, you're going to go lead these people. Okay, I'm choosing you to lead my chosen people. Moses wasn't satisfied. His own sin, because Moses didn't want what God wanted, broke that dwelling. Moses had been placed in that position solely to bring God glory and be satisfied in what God had given him, and Moses was not satisfied. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, and if I'm honest with myself, this is an issue in all of our lives. I think if we really sit here and ask ourselves these hard questions, church, none of us are satisfied with what we have, deep down. I mean, you may have a really good family. Your kids may be really smart and know the word really good. Your kids may all have been gifted salvation. You may have salvation and you're leading them in a way, but like ultimately you're still longing for more. You're longing to be closer, which isn't a bad thing, but that just shows that satisfaction is not reached in this side of eternity. And I think like those issues look different for all of us. Maybe it's, you know, we need to constantly be getting a new house, doing something to our house, doing this, doing that, renovating this, doing whatever, because we're not satisfied with the way things are in our lives right now. And we search for those things in anything we can find other than God. I know in my own life, like I've uh, talked about this in the guys group a little bit, like I felt like for a while, which is why God slapped me in the face with Psalm 90, was that I was not satisfied solely with him. Like I was, one of my biggest desires is to have a family, like to be able to start a family and lead them in God's commandments. And ultimately I was seeking that so much that it was like, God, I'm not even, <laughs> like I prayed prayers where I was like, God, satisfy the desire of my heart, satisfy me, give me a family, provide me with a way to have a family. And it's like, ultimately, God, I don't want you. Like I, the desire of my heart, give me the desire of that was not, God, give me more of you. It was give me this. Give me what only you can provide without you. And I think that's a place a lot of us sit in today, church. I know it's a place I sat in. Praise be to God that he's sanctifying me and like showing me where I missed the mark and bringing me to him. But like that's, I think that's where a lot of us are. And even though we're, we were created to dwell in him and be satisfied in his goodness and his grace, we have saw other things, which leads me to my second point, which we see in verses three through 11, that we do not seek satisfaction in God. We don't. We don't seek satisfaction in him. Verses 3 through 11 starts where Moses is kind of confessing his sin and the sin of his people. And he says, You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. And in the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it withers or it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength, eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So in these verses, like, 
Moses opens up with the fact that death is inevitable for man. Okay, due to man's love of sin, due to our rejection of God as satisfying, due to our rejection of dwelling with Him, we see that we have brought destruction upon ourselves, like death entered the world as a result of our sin. So because we weren't satisfied with being the perfect created being that God made us to be, sin entered, and we are now more imperfect than we have ever been. We are no longer really truly human. We are sinful. To be truly human was to be perfectly created the way that God had designed, and we only see that in Christ. But we see that in this, we have brought death upon ourselves, and that God is righteous to judge us in our sin. We openly reject God as satisfying, and instead we seek anything else to satisfy us, to take his rightful place as our supreme satisfaction. We actively seek other things. We throw away God, we throw away his word, and we seek our own desires, which are imperfect to satisfy. They can't. They're imperfect. They're incapable of it. Because if you think about it, when we get to the root of this issue, God created all things. Okay, He is the perfect, all-satisfying creator. If we are not satisfied with who God is, not just with what he's done, if we are not satisfied with his very person, with all of his attributes, how are we going to be satisfied with anything he's created? We can't be. Because we don't recognize the creator as satisfying. Like if you um, think about it, like if somebody gives you a gift, okay? If they give you a gift, hopefully you are not so infatuated with this gift, it's not the gift that brings you satisfaction, it's the fact that the person giving it to you thought about you. Okay, so like for example, when Jeej gives me a gift, I'm not like, wow, this is the best gift ever because Jeej like, has given me this gift and this gift is just the coolest thing in this world. Nothing has ever been created that is as cool as this very gift. That's not to say I hate the gift because I love it, like my five solos cup, perfect, love it. But the reason I love it so much is not because it's a good cup that holds my coffee forever. It's because Jeej cared about me and loved me enough to give it to me and it's the heart behind it. Like It's the heart behind all of these things that give us satisfaction and I'm satisfied with that cup because I'm satisfied with the love that Jeej has for everyone, not just me. But like it's the same way with God. When he provides us with things, when he provides us with the house, with the family, with whatever it is, if we're not satisfied with that, it's ultimately because we're not satisfied with who he is. And we see this echoed across scripture. Uh, we see it in Mark 7, 9, where, uh, and he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. We want what we want. We want our traditions. We want whatever we desire to do over God's word. We reject it completely. Then we see it again in Mark 15, 15. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Look at how easily we are satisfied by other things, church. We were satisfied by having a murderer released into our midst that we could receive and say, hey, welcome. We're glad you killed people. We're glad to have you here with us because we are not satisfied with the Son of God who has done nothing wrong other than call us out in our sin. We were easily satisfied. We are too easily satisfied 
That's why we're never actually reaching satisfaction, because we have a shallow view of it. And this is even, again, in Romans 3, 10 through 12. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. None of us. None of us seek satisfaction. Not me, not you, not your family, no one. None of us seek satisfaction in God. None of us seek Him at all. We can't. It is only when God reveals Himself as satisfying to us, when an outside force, the Holy Father, acts upon us and gives us eyes to see Him, is when we can start to be satisfied in Him. And it's not until we begin to be satisfied in Him that we put Him above all other things. If we're not wholly satisfied with Him, He's not going to be our number one priority. Our number one priority is going to be whatever it is that we think would satisfy us. And so we see that even though all of the things that are a result of creation, that God is perfectly created to give to us, we turn to other than Him. Like Moses and the Israelites, they turned to a golden calf. They were not satisfied that God was their God, so they said, we need something here right now that we can worship. So what can, like, let's think about God. Well, with our imperfect minds, what did we think God was? A golden calf. That was the best we could come up with. And so we worshiped a golden calf. God punished them for that because it wasn't him. They were too easily satisfied with a false god of their own creation. They complained about not having an earthly leader. They were not satisfied that God had given them himself. God himself said, I shall lead you. You will be my people. I've chosen you, the least of everyone, to be my people. And they said, we want an earthly leader like everybody else. You're not good enough. We want a king like every other nation. We don't want you to lead us. We want a king. And we do so much of that today, church. How often are we not satisfied that we turn to anything else? We turn to our phones, our friends, social media to feel validated. We turn to food when we're hungry or bored. God, God is not what we turn to, if we're honest. How many of us would say that, man, I'm feeling really dissatisfied with my life right now, and the only thing I know I need to turn to is Scripture? Anybody? Yeah, me neither. Because that's us. That is who we are as sinful people. And this paints a very, very bleak picture, church. Moses finishes up in this section talking about how we do not consider the power of God's anger and his wrath according to the fear of him. All of these things that we turn to are idol worship. When we place them in the place that God should be, they are idols. We are sinning against him by not choosing to put him first. And church, he is just to judge us. We do not deserve the very next breath we take. What we deserved was to be destroyed the second our feet hit the dirt. That's that's what we deserve. Because our sin is that offensive to a holy God. He is so perfect that that's how offensive our sin is to him, that we don't even deserve the life he's given us. 
And while this sounds bad, while this sounds like a very disheartening thing to hear, like, man, David, you've really been telling us we stink. Like, I have. I stink too. But it ultimately sets up the end of Moses' prayer in 12 through 17. Like, all of this, all of the rejection of God, all of the sin that has been brought to light, all of our secret sins brought to the light of God, everything leads up to the end of this prayer. And we see this in 12 through 17, that God brings us satisfaction. Okay, that's our third point, that's our last point. I'm not going to torture everybody for too much longer. God brings us satisfaction. Our longing, our rejection of him does not stay there. He was not, he was not satisfied to leave us wandering. He chose to bring us to him. And so God brings us satisfaction. We see this in 12 through 17, but really uh, we see it in verse 17 alone. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Moses begins in 12, asking God to teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Well, church, the heart of wisdom that we can gain, a heart of wisdom is a heart that is in tune with the Spirit, walking in His commandments daily, and is fully satisfied in Him. If we are not doing those things, we don't have a heart of wisdom. And God knows this. This is not, we're not catching God off guard when we pray for this. He's like, I know you don't have a heart of wisdom. But that's the entire point. The Old Testament prophesied of one who would come and who would satisfy us, who would satisfy our every longing. They waited hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years to be given satisfaction, constantly looking ahead to who would come and satisfy them. But church, we do not have a forward-looking faith. We have a backwards-looking faith. We know who came. We know who can satisfy us. We've been given his word. We have been given the holy word of God that will satisfy us and tells us that God is the only one that can satisfy us through his spirit. Like That's what we get to look back on. And we, we can rejoice in that, that we are not left wandering. That we are not left being only able to reject God. Short of his intervention, all of us would reject him and we could do nothing about it. It is only by the fact that God reached down in his sovereignty and picked us up and chose us as his people and gifted us salvation. It is nothing we did. I cannot choose to be satisfied in God in my sin. But God chose to satisfy me with himself. This is all the work of Christ. No amount of us sitting here going home and thinking, well, I really should be satisfied in God. I wonder how I can do that. No amount of positive thinking, no amount of even studying the scriptures can satisfy us in God if God is not the one doing it. If God is not acting upon our lives, we've missed it. We cannot be satisfied without him acting in us. And so we see that as far as, we, and, as, far and fast as we were running away from God, rejecting him and everything else, he was not satisfied with our dissatisfaction. As far as we ran away, he was one step ahead of us, right there to grab us and save us and say, you are mine. I am satisfying. 
view me as satisfying, get my spirit, have my justification, look at my son. When I look at you, I see my son's righteousness upon you, and you will be satisfied for all eternity when I bring you with me. Church, as long as we have been in existence, we have been separated from God. But he chose to send his son, his perfect, all-satisfying son, to die for a people that hated him. Get that. When he sought to satisfy us, it's not because we were seeking satisfaction. He chose to satisfy us because he loved us. As Seth read in the call call to worship, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That That was it, church. That's the greatest satisfaction we could ever know. In the middle of our rejection, when we said, give us the murderer, we want him. We don't want Christ. God said, I know you don't want him, but I'm giving him to you anyway. It's often presented, and I've heard this illustration a couple of times, that like when God saved us, it's like you were drowning, you were swimming in an ocean that was too deep, and just as you were about to go under and take your last breath, God threw you a life preserver, but you had to grab onto it. But that is not the case. Like, let me dispel that right now. We were dead at the bottom of the deepest trench in the ocean, and God parted the waters and grabbed us out of there and gave us a new life. And in that new life, he gave us the ability to be satisfied in him. He gave us the desire to seek him. He gave us the scriptures. We did not come by these on our own. And so even though we rejected Christ, he came. And after atoning for the sins of those that he knew would never want him, rose three days later to give us the ability to commune with the Father. Just as it was meant to be at creation, we are now able to commune and dwell with him because we have the Spirit dwelling in us. It's no longer up to us to go to a place and to seek God all on our own. God is in us, His Spirit dwelling within our very souls, calling us to be satisfied in Him, calling us into communion with Him where it intercedes for us on a day-to-day basis. And so church, I hope today we are beginning to see, like I have no notions that everyone's going to leave here today and be perfectly satisfied in God because of this message. Like, I have no notion of that. But I do hope like the Spirit has been moving and kind of like laying on our hearts today and saying, showing us where we're not satisfied with God and calling us and convicting us to be satisfied in Him. Not in His creation, not in anything He can provide, but in Him, in His very attributes, satisfied in who He is. And ultimately, as much as we try... Our satisfaction is not going to be heaven. Like, I know that sounds bad. Hear me out on this. Our satisfaction is not heaven. Our our satisfaction is not going to be found because we walked on a street of gold. Our satisfaction is only going to truly be found when we are at the throne of the Father. Okay? I'm not going to be satisfied in eternity because I get to see loved ones that have passed there. It'll be great to be able to worship with them, but that's not my satisfaction. 
My satisfaction is going to be found when I am laying at the throne next to all the elders, casting down our crowns and singing praises to God for all eternity as he sits on the throne. Church, he is satisfying and we are all longing for him, whether we admit it or not. If you have been saved, you are longing for Christ. So let's eagerly seek him today, this week. Like, let's go to our community and as we seek God, as we seek to dwell with him, let's joyfully take his gospel, the same satisfaction that we have been chosen to take to his people, to his community. And let's be the bride that is ultimately only satisfied with her groom, Christ. Let's let our lives overflow with more of him and he will satisfy us. It's why were we created. We were created to be satisfied in him and he will fulfill it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father God, we thank you that you even saw fit to give us life, God, but that even in our rebellion, you sent your perfect son to live the life that we never could, God, that you sent him to be crucified for our sins, to take the weight of our failure and our rejection, God, so that you could get praise from our salvation. Father, I pray that today, even as we all seek things other than you for satisfaction, God, and even in my own life, that you would satisfy us, that you would give us the heart of wisdom that Moses prayed about, God, that we would know the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of your love. And God, that we would be filled with this burning desire, this longing to have more of you. Not more stuff, God, not more status, not more of anything we have on this earth, God, but more of you. Father, sanctify us. Call us deeper into the depths of who you are. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love so that we may be glad all of our days and we may rejoice in you. It is in your righteous, sovereign name we pray. Amen.